Welcome to Ebenezer Baptist Church on October 20th, 2013. Today's message is titled, Anger is Bad, by Pastor Isaac Whiting, and is based on scripture, Matthew, chapter 5, verses 21 to 26. Well, this morning's message is going to be about anger, as you've seen from Matthew chapter 5. I just want to say before I begin that this message is not directed at any particular person or situation in our church in any way. Um, We'll leave it up to, it is a general teaching, and we will leave it up to God and the Holy Spirit and all of you to determine how it applies in particular cases. Pray with me once more, and then we will begin. Father God, we are not able to understand this life or your word without your help constantly. And we are here, Lord, I am here because I want to see Jesus and I want to hear from him. I want to know him more and I want to become more like him. And I pray that you would do that this morning. And I pray it only through the power that comes from his name. Amen. So anger is bad. You can see, I've got a picture of a man trapped in a mason jar on the screen. Anger is like a trap. It is bad. It is not a good thing. Jesus' main point in this section in Matthew chapter 5 is that he wants you to become the kind of person who doesn't get angry. We'll look a little bit at the Sermon on the Mount itself, what Jesus is doing in that sermon. Then we'll take a look specifically at the passage that Jesus is, uh, we're looking at today on anger. And then we'll talk a little bit about what we believe about anger. And I'm also, in the midst of that, going to tell you a story about myself in two parts. So look forward to that. First of all, I've asked this before, but why is it that we would want to do the things that Jesus says we should do. The Sermon on the Mount is the greatest teaching that Jesus ever gave. It is the highest moral teaching that the world has ever known. Why is it that we would want to actually put it into practice? Two reasons I'll give you today. One is because Jesus is the smartest person who has ever lived. Jesus is the smartest and greatest person who has ever lived. The things that he says we should do are absolutely, absolutely the best things for our life. There is nothing better that we could do. And second, 
Because in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is teaching us what he is like. He's teaching us what he himself is actually like inside. And he is the best person who has ever lived. The Sermon on the Mount teaches us how to be like him. Can I get the next slide? Ooh, fancy. It zooms. So the Sermon on the Mount begins, as I said, and it is a teaching that Jesus gave to his disciples about how they can become like him, what he is actually like, and how they can become like him in his inner life. It is not so much a set of rules or a new kind of law that Jesus is giving. It is more a series of illustrations that led us into seeing what Jesus' heart is like and how, with his advice, we can become just like that in our hearts. It begins, as you probably know, with a section called the Beatitudes or the Blessings. And in this section, Jesus talks about what kinds of people are really blessed, which kinds of people are the best, will receive the best from God. And the kinds of people that he mentions, he mentions people who are meek, people who are poor in spirit, people who are hungry, who are hungry or starving for God's goodness to be inside of them, people who are merciful to others, people who are pure in heart, peacemakers, and people who are persecuted. He begins the Sermon on the Mount by telling us that these are the kinds of people who are really blessed by God. Notice that none of these people are angry. How could you be angry if you're a meek and mild person? If you're a person who's trying to make peace with other people, you're not angry. If you're a person who is starving to become like God, you're not a person who's filled with anger. These people are not angry. And the question on the Sermon on the Mount that in, in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus answers after the Beatitudes through the whole rest of the sermon is how can you and I become like this? How can you and I become like this? And the first point that Jesus addresses is anger. It is step number one in Jesus' school for how to become like him. You must get rid of all anger. Next slide. So at this point, I'll tell you part one of my story. This is a story about myself and... I hope you'll like me more at the end than you do now, and not less. As I was growing up, oh, I've entitled part one, Divorce, Firewood, and a Punching Bag. As I was growing up, I internalized a lot of anger. When I was five years old, my parents got divorced, and it affected me a lot. I didn't know at the time how angry I really was, and I had no idea how to get rid of that anger. And to tell you the truth, 
looking back on the time from when I was 5 to 10, can you believe I remember that time? I do. I think I really wanted to be angry about the fact that my parents had divorced. And so I thought about it a lot. And I received anger into myself. And it sunk down inside me. And then when other bad things happened to me or things that I perceived to be bad, I took those into myself as well until I was walking around with a bed of live coals inside of me. I didn't look like an angry person on the outside. When I was 10 years old, I probably looked like a pretty well-behaved, normal child. But if you spent a lot of time around me, you would have seen the explosions that would happen when things didn't go my way. One time, I had a babysitter. This was probably when I was eight years old, something like that, about the age of my son, Zachary. And I don't even remember what this babysitter did. She was my next-door neighbor. She was a teenager. I think she probably just told me to do something that I didn't want to do. And I began swearing at her and throwing things at her. I, I really hope you'll like me better at the end of this story, not, at, not worse. Throwing things at her to the point where she ran out of our house, ran back into her house and locked the door, and I ran over to her house in a rage, began picking up firewood and throwing it at the front of her door as, as hard as I could. I finally ended my rage crying, and then I was back to my normal self. This kind of thing happened to me somewhat regularly the whole time I was growing up. I had internalized a huge amount of anger. I had swallowed it. When I was in high school, I spent a lot of time fixing up a really fast car, and then I would drive it to school at 100 or 110 miles an hour in anger at my life. By the time I got into college, my freshman year, my first year in university, it had become so bad that my roommate was scared to be in the same room as me. I seemed, again, like a normal person most of the time, but I could explode without warning. So I decided that the best thing I could do, and this is a funny strategy, I decided I would buy a punching bag. Because then I thought I could get my anger out, right? Only that doesn't work. So I bought this punching bag. It looked a lot like this, actually almost exactly like this punching bag. And the punching bag is the instrument that God used to begin to transform my life. But that will be part two. Next slide. And next slide again. So Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 to 26, anger is bad. This is step one of Jesus' teaching on how we can become people who are like him in our inner self. And he begins by telling us that anger is bad. He says, you know that there was a law in the past that people shouldn't murder each other. Well, of course people shouldn't murder each other, Jesus says. But I'm telling you that if you're angry with someone else in your heart, that's bad enough. That's terrible for you. You're going to go through trials because of that. 
if you then act out that anger, if you then give into it and try to let it out by calling someone a fool or going off into a rage, that's even worse for you. That's going to destroy you and imprison you. And if you let that anger sink down into your soul to the point where you don't even feel angry anymore, but there is a person who you have written off completely, who you care nothing about and you think even that they are worthless, that is, you are contemptuous of them. If you allow anger to sink down that deeply, then you are in danger of the fires of hell. And I want to say that I don't think in this teaching Jesus is saying, I don't think Jesus is saying, if you are angry, God's really mad at you and he's going to put you on trial. If you, are, if you hold someone in contempt, if you call them worthless, God's really angry at you and he's going to throw you into hell. I think what he is saying is that anger is very, very deadly to your soul. It is destroying you and you don't even know it. What do we mean by anger? The biblical word here talks about a consistent pattern. But it doesn't just mean what we mean by anger. It means a whole range of words, some of which I've written on the board, on the screen behind me. Irritation, annoyance, frustration. These are the beginning of anger. Moving up the scale then to rage, if we let that take us over and express it fully. And then if we let it sink into ourselves and become part of us, bitterness, resentment, and contempt. You see, anger is something that just flares up. It is a natural part of our lives. Whenever someone crosses our will, that is, when something happens that we really didn't want to happen, anger is a natural reaction that happens really in our bodies. It's kind of like physical pain. When someone pokes you with a needle, you feel pain. When someone pokes your will, crosses what you want to happen, you feel anger. That in itself isn't necessarily a sin. It's not necessarily bad just to feel anger. But the question is, once you have felt it, what are you going to do with it? Because anger can either be released, let go of, set aside, or it can be received. And if you take it into yourself, just like I, I demonstrated in the story of myself as a young child, young man, it will grow. It will become like a bed of coals inside of you, ready to burst out at any moment. Anger is bad. Why is it bad? It's bad because it's going to cut you off from God. It's going to cut you off from the blessings of God. Here's a verse from Psalm 37, which Jesus definitely had in mind as he spoke the Sermon on the Mount. Psalm 37, verses 8 to 9 say this, Stop being angry. 
Turn from your rage. Do not lose your temper. It only leads to harm. For the wicked will be destroyed, but those who trust in the Lord will inherit the earth. You see, the angry in this psalm are equated with the wicked. Those who are angry are the ones who are cut off from God. Not because God doesn't love them, but because their anger has cut them off from God. It is simply a fact of life. They are cut off from the blessings of God. This morning, as I was thinking about this message, and then I did my own devotions before I came to church. Do you do devotions before you come to church? I opened the Bible quite randomly to Isaiah chapter 58. And in Isaiah chapter 58, it very specifically says that those who are angry will not have their prayers answered. God will ignore people who hold anger in their hearts. He will simply ignore them. So hopefully by this point, you're beginning to agree with me. Anger is a bad thing. If you don't agree with me, I'll address that later. Anger is a bad thing. We want to get away from it because it cuts us off from God. So how do we do it? How do we get rid of our anger? Can we do it simply by trying not to be angry? Whenever someone does something to us that we don't like, we'll just you know, grit our teeth and clench our fists, or not clench our fists, hold our hands open and say, no, I won't be angry. No, that won't work. Next slide. And this is where, in the Sermon on the Mount, the genius of Jesus begins to shine through. Jesus is a genius. He approaches things in such a different way than we would normally approach them. We would do exactly what I've said normally, wouldn't we? If someone says anger is bad, then I would think, okay, my response had better be that I should try hard not to be angry. But Jesus knows that that won't work. And he gives us a really incredible teaching on how we can become people who are not angry. He does it with two examples. The first example is get up and leave. Get up and leave. If you are about to place, this is Matthew 5, verse 23, if you are about to place your gift on the altar and you remember that someone is angry with you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. Make peace with that person and then come back and offer your gift to God. This is an astonishing teaching. I hope that when you read this, you have enough imagination to think about what, was, what Jesus was actually saying in that time to those people and realize what a shocking statement this is. This would be as if he were saying to us, you know, you're in the middle of church. You're going to become the kind of person who in the middle of a church service, if they realize that there was someone, not that even just that they were angry with, but who was angry with them, would get up in the middle of the church service and walk out and immediately go find that person who's angry with them and do anything they possibly can to make this person, uh, to fix their relationship with this person. 
This is someone Jesus is describing who is deeply committed to destroying anger wherever it might be. Again, Jesus is not giving a law here. Jesus is not saying that you can never go to church if you're angry with someone. I wonder if we made that a law, how many people would be in church. Jesus is saying that if you want to remove anger from your life, the strategy that you should take up is that you should try to become the kind of person who would do this naturally. The kind of person who so much wants anger to be gone that even if they realize someone was angry with them or might be, they would leave an important event, a church service, a wedding, a business board meeting. They would get up in the middle of it and run out of it and go find the person that is angry with them and do anything they can to reconcile. I'm leaving a space here so that anyone who wants to can get up and run out of the church. He is saying that you should become this kind of person. Progress in the kingdom of God has everything to do with what you desire. If you are a person who desires with your whole being to be rid of anger, God will come and help you, and you will, over time, be rid of anger. If you are a person who wants to hold on to it, God will let you hold on to it. The second example that Jesus gives is just as striking. Someone is suing you. They're suing you. You've done something wrong, or maybe you haven't, and they're just suing you anyway. And you're going to go to this person who is taking you to court. You're going to get up and go quickly, running like this man carrying his briefcase in his suit, running to find the person who's suing them and begging this person to somehow not just even not just no longer be angry with them, but to become friends with them. This is a person Jesus is describing who is far more committed to their internal life being good, to getting rid of anger inside themselves than they are committed to anything else. This is a person who desires to be like Jesus, a person who hungers and thirsts, who is starving for righteousness, a person who desperately wants to get rid of anger. Jesus is saying here, become, my friends, the kind of person who doesn't get angry. This is impossible for those who don't see what anger really is. All the teachings in the Sermon on the Mount are impossible for people who think of the world the way normal human beings think of the world. But for people who see and understand what anger is and what it is doing to your soul and what your life could be like without it, it's really not that hard to root anger out of your soul. It might take some time, but God has provided the power through the cross. It is available to you right now to take that away if you work along with him and do the things that Jesus says. Do you really believe that anger is bad for you? Next slide. Next slide. 
Maybe you believe that anger is bad for you, but I'm sure some of you would say to me, just like the youth group did when I first presented this teaching to them, don't I need to be angry sometimes? I mean, what if someone's doing something to me? What if someone attacks me? What if someone, uh, the first response in our youth group is, what if someone comes up and punches me? Don't I need to be angry so that I can defend myself? Or another example, don't I need to be angry so that I make sure that things turn out right? Don't I need to be angry so that I can make sure that someone does the right thing? What if there's a person in my life who over and over again is doing something that's really wrong, genuinely wrong? Aren't I right to be angry with them? But the truth is that there's nothing that can be done with anger that cannot be done better without it. Nothing. Not defending yourself in a fight, not trying to help someone become a better person or do the right thing. Anger only destroys. And now for part two of my story. Next slide. Part two is called Concussions and Airplanes. I was a very angry person, as you've heard me confess to you. And I bought this punching bag. And I was so excited about it because I would be able to punch this punching bag instead of getting mad at my roommate, who I was intensely angry at all the time, for no real reason. So I bought this punching bag. And you remember the picture of the punching bag. It's a freestanding style of punching bag. So the way that it actually works is there's a big plastic base to it with a long neck like this. And you fill that up with water so that it's really heavy. And then you slide the punching bag on top of it. Does that make sense? Not if it makes sense. Well, I was living in a dormitory. And I had this in my dorm room. And so I decided, okay, I need to fill this up, but I didn't have a hose. So what was I going to do? Well, I took it into the showers of the dormitory. And I kind of leaned it over like this, and I had the shower on, and it's only got a really small hole at the top, and it's filling very, very slowly from the shower. And I'm holding this for a long time. And I was sort of between the shower and the punching bag. It's a little bit hard to describe. I was holding it like this. The shower is coming here, and the shower knobs are behind me. Is that right? Holding it like this. Oh, I can't even remember. Somehow I'm holding it like, like this. And as it fills up, it gets heavier and heavier. And it gets slipperier because it's wet, right? And at some point, it bent. And the base, which was very, very heavy, kind of fell flat, and the top bent. And it slipped out of my hands, and it slammed into my head at high speed. And it threw my head against the knobs of the shower. I think, actually, if I had been at a little bit different angle, it would have been one of those freak accidents where someone dies in their shower, right? Because it was actually quite sharp. But I hit it. I hit it directly. And I had a big lump on the side of my head. Went to the doctor. Turned out I had a concussion. But this concussion began to save my life. I wasn't yet a Christian. I didn't know God. But all of a sudden, 
as I sat there with this concussion, a great peace started to come over me the next few days. A peace that I can't really explain other than that God smacked me in the head with a shower knob. And I began to simply release things that I had held on to tightly. Uh, one thing that I released right away was I was very I was on the track team and I was very concerned about uh, winning and I was very concerned about uh, doing well at track and I just quit and didn't care about it anymore and released it completely. And when I did, I felt a kind of peace flood my soul where previously there had been anger. And then I went and got on an airplane. How many of you have a terrible traveling story? Like, you know, where it took you a long time to travel somewhere and lots of things went wrong? I got on an airplane in New Orleans, Louisiana, and I was headed to Seattle, Washington. And it took me 24 hours to get there. The first thing that happened is I got on the plane and we flew about halfway to the first destination. I don't remember where it was, Salt Lake or something like that. Almost halfway, and one of the engines on the plane failed. And they had to turn around the plane, fly all the way back to New Orleans, and deboard everyone and put them on different flights. Oh, you can imagine how angry people were, right? They'd flown the entire time of the flight and they'd gotten nowhere. People were insanely angry, and I was tempted to become angry, only I had just had this incredible experience where I released something, and so I decided to just release it. And I felt incredible peace flood my soul. It was a unique experience, like something I'd never experienced before. And so I was excited to keep trying it. And God kept giving me opportunities to try it. The next thing that he did was he made sure that I was the very last person to be rescheduled onto another flight. The entire plane full of 150 people and I was the last person to get a new flight. And I released it and said, this is incredible. I'm at peace. And then they said, not only that, you can't go to Salt Lake City. We have to fly you to Washington, D.C., the opposite direction from where you're going so that you can find a flight home. And I said, that's amazing. I'm so happy as I release this. And then we flew to Washington, D.C., and this is where the story really gets ridiculous. We got on the plane. I boarded the plane that was going to go from Washington, D.C. to Seattle, Washington, a five-hour flight. And it was winter. It was Christmas time. And there was a little bit of ice that was uh, you know, collecting on the wings of the planes, and so they needed to de-ice the plane. And so they said, oh, we need to wait just a few minutes until the de-icer comes, but we don't want to let you off the plane because he'll be here any minute. And they kept saying that. For five hours, we sat in the plane at the gate, not able to leave, for five hours. Again, you can imagine what people on that plane were like. People were hitting things. People were swearing at the, the crew members. And I had a big smile on my face. Every time I released something, every time I released it, I was flooded with this peace. I could not at that time describe what I was experiencing because I was not a Christian. But I know now that what I was experiencing is something 
uh, it has been referred to as abandonment to the will of God. For someone who is truly abandoned to the will of God, trusting that God will do what's right and releasing any kind of anger or resentment entirely, everything is peace. Everything is peace. That experience led almost directly to my conversion about six months later. Next slide. So in closing, I just want to ask you, what would it be like if we really believed what we believe? Anger is bad. The Bible is very clear. You will never be able to release it as long as you want to hold on to it. And it will destroy your soul It will block you from all the blessings of God. And you don't need anger. You don't need it because God is real. What if you really believed all the time that God were actually in control of everything in your life in the world? In control of everything. Even the things that are bad that happen to you are things that he allowed to come into your life. He could have stopped them. And what if you really believed all the time that he loved you? He loved you so much that he even died for you. Would he ever do anything that would be bad for you? No. He would never do anything that would be bad for you. If you believed those facts about God, the next time someone does something that made you angry, you would be able to simply let it go. You would be able to say, someone has done something that I didn't like, but obviously God has a better plan. I release this anger in the name of the Lord, and God will respond to you. He will flood your soul with peace. He will give you a life that is like the life of Jesus. It is right there. All we have to do is go take it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you so much for being in control of the world and our lives. God, we pray, not on our own, but in the name of Jesus, that you would remove anger. God, I pray that you would make all of us, myself and everyone else here, people who see what anger is and who want to get rid of it deeply, quickly, powerfully. God, help us to hate anger. Help us to run from it. Help us to root it out of our lives. God, I pray that as we do that, you would respond to us. You would change us and make us into the people who are like Jesus. Amen.